What's going on, boys and girls? We got a terrific episode of Two White Lights for you today. I had an interview with Matthew Aramoni, 66 KG national champion in 2018. Matthew Aramoni, better known as Little Tortoise Nur, and I was psyched to give him an interview because the dude is on the comeback, and I got to talk to him about it. And we talked to uh, we talked about a lot of things. Talked about. Just different philosophies when it came to training, technique. He has a pretty unorthodox technique, and I kind of picked his brain on that too. A lot, of, a lot of deadlift talk this episode, which is good because the guy's like one of the pound-for-pound pound best deadlifters ever. So going for a five-time his body weight pull. So a lot of talk on that. Gave a good technique tip as well. And yeah, this is a terrific interview, and I was psyched to talk to him. But before we get into the interview... Want to talk to you guys about Leflar Bros Apparel. Ladies and gentlemen, go to leflarbros.com and get yourself some merchandise. They have several collections that they've been sending me, and I love them. My favorite right now is a baseball tee. Baseball tees are the best, and their baseball tees are not only badass looking, they're fucking comfortable. And I like my beanies as well, and their beanies are pretty badass too. So get yourself some merchandise. Go to leftlarbros.com. Use promo code 2WL10 and get 10% off of your order. That is 2WL10 and you get 10% off of your order. And you will not regret it because I love their apparel. And while you're online visiting leftlarbros.com, go to rivalas.net. Get yourself some supplements, protein, pre-workout, creatine, branch chain, amino acids. Use promo code ANGELO15. Get 15% off of your order and save yourself some motherfucking money. Also, visit 2 Buy yourself some merchandise from us, too. We got some Bomb Out Club, uh, our t-shirts, some of the Shit Was Light t-shirts as well. Visit our blog, and that's going to do it for the ad reads. Now, here it is, 2 White Lights. It is Monday, January 20th. Uh, Happy Martin Luther King Day, people. Hopefully you have the day off of work. And day off of work, you'll listen to the, the favorite podcast of Greg Knuckles, Two White Lights. We're back, we're here, and we had a terrific episode with Matthew Aramoni, and I introduced her earlier in the show, I'm going to introduce it again, of just how excited I was to interview him, because I I've, I just always liked him, I just, uh, since I started my powerlifting, like, career, he's been a guy that I've been just kind of looking at, and he kind of went dark for a little bit, and we explained it during the interview on what exactly happened, um, just at least from Instagram and, like, kind of competing, but he's back, he's putting up crazy numbers, and we had a really great conversation and this is a damn good episode talk about a lot of things that i know the listeners of two highlights want to hear so i'm not gonna waste your time with shitty commentary and my bad jokes i'm just gonna get right to it here he is snur and as promised i got with me via facetime i am so excited to see his face i'm so excited to see his instagram resurface 
I have with me USAPL national champion, 66 kg lifter, 59 kg lifter, Matthew Aramoni, better known as Little Tortoise Snur. How are you, man? I'm doing pretty well for the first time in a little bit, so that's nice. That that is great to hear, and I and I told you in this pre-interview, and I'm gonna tell you again when we saw your first video pop up on Instagram, because it's been a while. Which me and my, one? It, it was it was you lifting again. That's oh yeah okay. It, it was just you lifting again. I was at the gym with my friends. We both we both opened our phones and we're like, mm-hmm. Snur's <laughs> back. <laughs> like Snur yeah, is I back, just... and his presence has been missed. Oh, well, thank you for saying that. That that that's very kind of you. Um, like, I, I I don't intend for people to miss me. I just sort of like you know, if I do something that I feel is better than my normal training i'll I post it but if training is just training then i don't want to like try to get a bunch of attention or anything or mm-hmm. really generate any anything so i don't really post if i don't feel like i have anything to post not about chasing that cloud huh no not really i, I don't know i just have never have really i've never really had a lot of interest in it because i've always just kind of wanted to be like a regular person lifting weights in his basement that like competes sometimes i don't want to like be a, a social media powerlifter or something like that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and it's refreshing to hear because, well, one, you still have accomplished like half of that because still people call you by your handle, and that's like yeah. the pinnacle of being a social media powerlifter is no one knows your actual name. Yeah, they call you by your handle. Well, so, I've had a thing where i requested to be friends with people on Facebook that I've met in real life. And they see Matthew Aramoni, and they say, who is this? So they don't accept it. And then six months later, they'll accept it, and then they'll message me on some, like, Instagram, and they'll say, oh, I'm really sorry, I didn't realize it was you, because I've never seen your real name. Yeah, uh, that that happens to me a lot, and then, that, like, the very same thing, it's like, they call me 14 power Like, that's like, hey, 14, or like, 140 power mm-hmm. And, like, it's 14, you're technically saying my name if you say 14 power mm-hmm. but, like, it's... It's strange, but it's refreshing to hear you say that because you've accomplished something that's hard to do. You don't want to be a social media powerlifter, but every like elite level powerlifter, at least in the USAPL, knows of your existence, and you're still a person who's like talked about in inner circles. And that's not because you're doing a bunch of social media stuff. It's because you're a really good powerlifter and has done a few things that's caught the eyes of powerlifters, whether it be through your technique and numbers. I don't know if I'm a, um, I consider myself a good powerlifter. I have a pretty bad track in meets of not making attempts. I mean, the last year I did this Nationals 2018? Yeah, 2018. Um, that was a lot better just because I finally have taken the time to slow down and try to actually like lift to standard and training and actually train. But that took a toll on a sense because that's not really what I enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. I like just trying to lift heavy in my basement. Not really, like, following a really strict routine, which that's why I give Sean a lot of credit when we were working together because he had to be really patient. Because mm-hmm. he would give me a program, and it would be, like, singles at six, and there would be four weeks of that. And he it just every week I just want to put more weight on the bar. So it would be, like, at six, then at eight, then at nine, then at ten. And he'd be like, Matt, you're supposed to be, like, at six this whole period. We're not even supposed to be taking heavy singles right now. It's like, why are you trying to PR? But uh, he, he was very accommodating with that, which was very good. Because I think a lot of other coaches would have been pretty angry. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, for sure. 
and I'm, I'm actually like I'm starting to get used to the RP thing and uh-huh. at first I was like okay RP is new auto regulation is new but when I do see that like double for a six that's like mm-hmm. the worst one to see yeah like double for a six what's a six anyway right. what is a six like yeah I'm just debating in my mind like what is an RPE six then yeah. I throw on some weight and like I don't even I, I don't even know if that exists in powerlifting, like an RP six, RP seven through ten definitely exists. Six yeah. is like a weird. It's like no man's land. I think there, like, there must be some people that have the level of training maturity to say, you know what, I have four reps in the tank, and I'm just gonna. Could I have taken this double for a set of six? Mm-hmm. But I, I just can't do that. If I see at six, I'm like, ah, I'll just do something that looks kind of fast. <laughs> I'll say that, that was at six, even if it was like a soft at ten that I could have added weight to. Yeah, I, 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 I'm starting to get it better with RP, but n- like, it it was a weird, especially with six. Six was the hardest for me to like yes. understand. But but well, you mentioned 2018. Um, mm-hmm. one USAPL Raw Nationals uh, as a junior, correct? Yes. And I was second in the open, but I going into the meet, I hadn't done a meet at 66 in like a year. So I told Sean, I said, uh, I think I'm gonna get stomped. So I'm just gonna through the junior division and try to have a fun meet and then um like four weeks out sean and joey dm me and they say matt like why aren't you signed up for the open i was like i don't know so i i kind of shot myself in the foot there but i didn't expect anything so i think that was good because it just made the meat lower pressure oh yeah for sure and yeah people have done that before um i've seen it this year with nationals i don't know if people just made the mistake of not because I think I, I think I jumped up a few rankings because they just simply didn't sign up for the open, and I think I jumped up like they like they out totaled me as a junior. But I, I mean I consider that a win. They weren't in your division. The <laughs> oh, yeah. placing is the placing. The numbers don't lie. That's what I say. Oh yeah, they for... weren't my competition. You know, <laughs> <laughs> for sure that is that is an awesome spin zone to put on. But so since 2018, you kind of have you been lifting within that time? Have you? Yeah. Have you been training? Yeah. So I was, I mean, the plan was to go to Worlds. I wanted to go to Worlds. I made the junior team. And then around the end of March, I got hurt. And there was just something in my glute, and it just wouldn't go away. And it was really, really painful. Like, it's it, it destroyed my deadlift. Like, I couldn't break 500 off the floor. It was mm-hmm. just excruciating. And... I was very stubborn, and instead of taking some time off, which I think probably would have helped resolve it a lot faster, and I might have been able to compete at Worlds, I kept pushing it, and it kept getting worse. So, eventually, I just said, this isn't worth it, and I need to get better, or at least reevaluate if I want to keep lifting at all. Mm-hmm. So, I stopped training pretty much for the entire summer. I just took it off. I like came into the gym a couple times, just kind of lifted for fun. If it felt bad, I mean, I just left. And that sort of, like, actual lifting around October. Uh, in October, I went to TPS in Boston, Total Performance Sports. It's a gym that my girlfriend trains at, and they had a deadlift bar. So I was like, you know what? I'll pull in the deadlift bar. So, like, untrained, the first time was 675. And then I was like, okay. That's pretty cool. So I took a week off, and then I came back in. The next time I visited my girlfriend, I pulled 700 on the deadlift bar. I said, all right, I guess I have some strength retained, and my injury has gone away, so it's time to get back to training. So I, I, I'm back. I started in, like, 
mid October. It was just after nationals, I think, mm-hmm. or just before nationals. But it was around that time I got back to training. So all of my lifts, like my deadlift, is better than it was before. Squat is better than it was before, and bench is about the same. So I don't think I've fallen too far off the horse, so to speak. I think things are going in the right direction. Yeah, I was going to ask if that time off hindered your progress, but that sounds like it could have hindered your progress, but it looks like you're back on the wagon, like, with at least lifting heavy. Yes. I think what helped is during that time off, like, I focused on other things, because, like, outside of lifting, I like art, I like painting, I like, like, building models and stuff like that, just things that are relaxing. So, taking time off to do stuff like that, I think, helped, because it just really relaxed me and made me care less about like the numbers I was lifting and it gave me time to just reflect on the way that I train because the big thing that's happened in the past is even with Sean this isn't like a discredit to anyone or anything or any modality of programming or coaching but like I didn't I don't really train repetitions too often most of how I used to train was just working up to a top set and then I'd be done Mm -hmm. so the things I posted on Instagram were basically the training like if Sean programmed a 4x7 on squat I would just ramp up to a heavy set of seven then i was done no accessories no back downs just i was done and that's how i trained for a pretty decent amount of time mm. and just every session i'd try to go for a pr but now like i actually do back downs and actually like train volume and i try to hold myself more accountable in terms of you know make sure i hit depth make sure my squats like hold or not not sorry, my deadlifts like hold the lockouts because that was a big problem in the past where i just i just shotgun out the sets of deadlifts and try to get the reps in as fast as I could so I didn't run out of momentum. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I did fall prey to, like, wanting to be a social media lifter for quite a while, where, you know, if I pulled 585 for 7 with straps, I'd be like, oh, I gotta pull 600 for 7 now or else, you know, people are gonna think I'm losing steam. Mm-hmm. So then the form would get worse and worse. And it's, especially in that period, I, I know, like, on your podcast, you've with a pug, you talked about straps and if they're cheating or not. Yeah. And um, I see a lot of people use figure eight straps now. And in part, I feel responsible for the figure eight thing becoming a thing because, you know, I, I went on a decent little tear with figure eights for a while where I was hitting a bunch of PRs. But um, you can really cheat with figure eights because you don't have to, you don't actually have to hold the weight. You can just let it, the strap hold the weight and have the weight dangle down in your hands. And I got decently long fingers. Like, I could get three inches taken off my range of motion and when you're pulling the weight 15 inches or less that three inches is like a 20 percent boost and it just makes it so so much easier oh absolutely i i would even argue that that quarter inch like a quarter inch to a, like a half inch of yeah. range of motion makes someone's deadlift it, i know it makes my deadlift like a 730 with a deadlift bar to a 715 with a stiff bar uh just yeah, alone I, on that deadlift bar i mean just looking at your pull now that you took the heels off and I see you're pulling in flats like that tiny bit of change is just it's making such a big difference mm-hmm. like you look like you're lining up to pull the American record in the 83 with like relative ease and it's just a thing it's a small small degrees of like range of motion or change on the deadlift make a huge huge difference so I mean I see a lot of people that are using figure eights I think the right way not the way I was using them mm-hmm. whereas I was I just holding them in the clout grip I just was letting the weight dangle Trying to, I was getting the block pull act, the ghost block pull action, mm-hmm. and um, it, I think it really hurt my deadlift because I would take the straps off and Sean say, all right, uh, you know, you, you pulled six hundred for a seven or whatever, 
last week. Can you work up to 600 for a hook single this week? And I physically couldn't hold it because mm-hmm. I wasn't training my grip. I wasn't doing any accessories. wasn't doing anything. And, I mean, I know people say hook grip is all technique, but, I mean, when I say my hands are small or big or my fingers are long, they're not actually that long in the grand scheme of things. So what I found is that actually doing accessories and doing things that require me to use my grip like I do a lot of double overhand work now. I do double overhand stiff leg deadlifts. The Ed Cohen style where he doesn't have the bar up against his shins. He puts it way out far in front of him. I found that is really helpful. And now my grip is becoming a non-factor for my hook grip mm-hmm. on the stiff bar. Which is why in this past week that I had the two PRs, the 673 or the 305 kilos, I think that was a 10 kilo PR hook on a stiff with top plates. And no problem holding it which was, in my opinion, a big win, bigger mm-hmm. than any other that I've had with, like, straps in the past. So I'm hoping that now that I'm actually trying to take training seriously, trying to get accessories in to build up the grip, doing all those sorts of things, uh, I can get my deadlift without straps on a stiff bar with the comp plates to exceed what I was doing with the figure eights, with the cheater range of motion, the cheater action, uh, hopefully in this, this upcoming week. I think the momentum is swinging my way, so if I can capitalize on it, we might see 700 Tuesday. Ooh. That's the goal. All right. Well, this episode airs Monday, so oh, it does. Yeah, so oh, we're gonna yeah we're so the, the pressure on myself. Yeah, so so we're gonna have a few extra eyes on that deadlift, but I have seen some of the polls that you posted recently. One was a paused poll, correct? Yes, that was. Yesterday? No, the day before. Mm-hmm. I think it was Thursday. Or yeah, Friday. that yep. looked great, and it looked like a, about because I was just doing some research for the show, kind of going into mm-hmm. your old videos. I was like, shit, that looked really, really good. Like just a very good, technically sound deadlift. Oh, and, thank you. Yeah, and, and and it looked really good. But if you're ever looking to be a clout lifter, what you got to mm-hmm. do is not lift heavy, but throw in a chalk clap or throw your belt. That well, is how I get away with not lifting heavy. <laughs> the chalk clap would kill me because I, I have the I have really sweaty hands, and I rely so much on chalk that like it, there are certain brands of chalk where I can't hold anything. Oh, it just like turns to paste in my hands. It's a it's a disaster. I bring chalk to nationals, like my own chalk from home, because I'm like I can't I can't risk it. I can't risk it. You know I gotta make sure I get the right chalk. That's why it was. I found out Worlds is in Belarus this year, and I heard in the past people couldn't bring their chalk into Belarus. Yeah. So I, I said to myself, I was like, I, I'm not, I, I'm not gonna go to nationals this year, even if I was like ready, because you know I don't, I want to go to Belarus and then use their chalk and then bomb out on deadlifts when I can't hold anything. <laughs> They're like, shitty Belarus chalk. And I was like, oh, because I had to use their their chalk, their strange <laughs> communist <laughs> dictatorship. <laughs> Chalk. Yeah, they're they're bullshit ass Soviet former Soviet Union yeah, exactly. chalk. Exactly, they're just grinding out like blocks of <laughs> chalkboard chalk, putting it in a bowl. <laughs> it would be a disaster. My hands would sweat right through it. It'd be like trying to deadlift with grease on them. Yeah, I never. Yeah, the chalk thing. I've never. Yeah, that's never been a thing. I but I don't do hook. Oh. I don't. I, I like. I'm a mixed grip, grip guy. Yeah. Even when I was mixed, I couldn't do it. Well, that's why I switched to hook. Mm-hmm. Because my mixed group was just terrible. I mean, it was it was awful. Mm-hmm. Probably because I didn't know how to deadlift. So if I ever went back, I might try. Because now I I actually try to deadlift with technique instead of just putting my feet wide and yanking as hard as I can. 
Yeah, I well, I think what you mentioned the, just uh, the ability or just the just you deciding to start doing accessories more seriously and start mm-hmm. doing those back offs and start doing those variations. Nope. I think a lot of lifters do fall victim of this, where. And, and I was one of them, for sure, because, you know, with an online program, there was no variation. There was accessories, but the accessories didn't match up to the movements right. that I was trying to improve on. They were just movements. Mm-hmm. They were kind of just, mu- like, you know, some hypertrophy movements that you're going to yep. do. And, of course, that'll help, but there is a, there is going to be a roadblock. You are going to hit a plateau at a, yeah. some point where you need something else. And the fact now that variations are bought into my programming you do see immediate results, and I think the same thing with you. You're going to see a very similar, just immediate result with yeah. like just the different accessories and different variations that you're going to mm-hmm. be doing, which I'm yeah, excited I to think, see because that. I think like squat will always more or be more of a challenge for me, just because I have pretty long femurs, mm-hmm. uh, and a pretty short torso, and unlike a lot of people with short, long femurs and short torsos who squat with a very wide stance, my hips just don't like that at all. Because if you notice when I sumo, I have my hips super, super high. Like, almost that lockup, it's just not good. I don't have any tension. I, I just bottom out. I don't even think I could squat 315 with, like, a Sean Noriega stance. It'd just be the death of me. Mm, I, don't, so, I don't think a lot of people could squat 315 with a Sean Noriega stance. No, that's true. That, that, it's, it, that's its own... Thing, yeah, Sean Noriega's yeah. squat stance is more unique than his bench technique. Yes. Like, yes, that I is, when agree. I look at it, when I saw it in person, too, I was like, I knew it was weird based on videos. When I saw it in person, I was like, what the fuck am I looking at right now? That kind of reminds me of Wilson's, but a little more extreme. Because yeah. Wilson has pretty, pretty wide stance. Mm-hmm. He, I, like, I've, I've, yeah, I've tried to squat like him before, just to see how it felt, and I just, oh god, it's not good. Wilson is that stance perfected, in my opinion, where yeah. he is wide, but everything seems to move just yep. correctly and perfectly, and he's able to maintain it. Um, I think actually Sean's bracing is the one thing that I'm just like, whoa. Like, well, I've never seen someone brace that long. But mm-hmm. So, we're talking about some maybe 700 pulls this week, but what are your yes. plans moving forward? Um any meets you have in mind? Federation change? So, numbers? I'm not going to switch from the USAPL. I've thought about switching to USPA to do one meet because uh, if open powerlifting serves correct, if I pull 750 on the pool noodle at 148 by Wilkes, it would be the number one deadlift for men across all federations, across all weight classes, like just in general. Mm-hmm. And that feels like it's very attainable right now because, I mean, 700, no peak, no prep, no training, no nothing. Just went in and did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like right now my pull on the stiff has increased a lot from back when I pulled 730 on the pull noodle after Raw Nationals last year. So I think that it's an actual possibility. But I don't want to switch to USPA because, I mean, I feel like I can't leave the USAPL until I've won the 66 in the open division because mm-hmm. I don't want to just be the person that was a 66 that cut the 59 and then won the 59 and then bombed out of worlds <laughs> <laughs> and then did one meet as a junior and then left the federation because I mean that's it's I don't know I have some pride I don't want to be like a social media lifter or a clout lifter but I have some pride about things and I don't want to go out like the person that did one meet after bombing out and then just left. 
to pull on the noodle, even though the noodle is really tempting. I really do like pulling on the deadlift bar. I think that um, my ability to pull slack needs to improve. Mm-hmm. But I, actually, I can get a lot of slack out, but I noticed that it's not as much as I could. I have to actually practice with it, I think, to get better. But that's just a pipe dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, awesome goal to have. And I think USAPL lifters, some like I think just sometimes – they're in a gym and they just look at that deadlift bar, and mm-hmm. just think like, "Yeah, I gotta switch. I gotta switch to federation just for one, just for one meet a year. It's fine. They they see the temptation of that mm-hmm. deadlift bar. They know, they know the feeling. They start thinking of records. And I've been one of them where yeah. I was like, "Man, that that deadlift bar. I know I can get like another fifteen to twenty pounds. But there's some sort of thing that always keeps people into the USAPL, and I think it's that competition you're talking about." Well, for me, it's partially that, and then, um, I know it's weird to say, but there's a podcast that Ed Cohn went on a while ago, and, um, he was talking about how the all-time world record deadlifts that were set back in the day, some of them that are still standing now, were set in the IPF, the old IPF, on a stiff bar with two-hour weigh-ins, mm-hmm. and how the people, there are people that are breaking them now on a deadlift bar, and, um, they're very strong people, but he said, like, if you could do it on the stiff bar, then why'd you do it on the stiff bar? And that just kind of stuck to me. Mm-hmm. And um, right now, there's the record in the 148. It's 705. Um, and it was broken in the IPF. It was set in the IPF. It was set like back in the 70s or 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. It's pretty old. It's like a very old record. So I don't want to switch over to like USPA and, you know, break his record on a deadlift bar or something. Mm hmm. Because I feel like it's just disingenuous to the person that did it, and I have a lot of respect for his accomplishment. Because I look at a number like that on the stiff bar as being very difficult to do, mm-hmm. and it's like a thing that I would like to overcome, and I don't want to make things like easier on myself to do it. So that's the real reason I think I'm sticking with the USAPL. Because I got to do it the the way that you know would make someone like Ed proud. <laughs> yeah. And that's extremely admirable that you say that. I, I like I do like that. I like sticking with the federation that that person set the record with. Um, yeah. And you know, and the only reason why we know about this now is because of things like open powerlifting. Mm-hmm. Before open powerlifting, you kind of just stuck with your own federation and what right. their records were. But yeah, and I've I've said this in conversations before. I don't think I've ever said it like publicly, because mm-hmm. people were telling me it's like, dude, I think you have the all time drug tested world record. If yep. you pull on a deadlift bar and you break that 750 by UU. Now, I was thinking, like, I'm not going to do that. UU is a friend of mine. I respect right. UU. And he definitely pulled that shit on a stiff bar mm-hmm. in the Arnold. Right. I need to do it the same exact way he did. I don't want to yeah. be on openpowerlifting.com. And, you know, you. I mean, and especially like a legend, like, like a deadlift legend. He's in the Hall of Fame mm-hmm. of deadlifting. If there yep. was one, he's in it. Mm-hmm. Can't dethrone a guy like just trying to find little every advantage I right. can get, especially with USPA. Like, you know, twenty four hour weigh ins. I could totally cheat the system there. And now, if I didn't know you, you probably would have been a little bit different. But mm-hmm. dude, the guy like he deserves he deserves to hold that record until someone mm-hmm. in the USAPL, not the IPF, because the IPF one is like fucking thirty pounds lower yeah. or something. But until someone in the USAPL breaks it. Yeah, I think it's a real like travesty that UU is not able to compete in some sort of IPF affiliated meet to break the world record. Oh yeah, because like 
He gives the man what he deserves. That's it's yeah. Such that, an I'm, amazing feat of strength. The fact that that's not the world record is just it. It's kind of upsetting in a way. Oh, for sure. And I've said it like on the podcast. I've said it on on Instagram and just with conversations with friends. That is just horseshit. The, the fact- Arnold used to be an IPF meet. You could break world records at it. Why is the Arnold no longer an IPF meet? So, There's so, a huge chance to break his record. Yeah, so you can break it this year at the Pro-American. I'm not doing oh, the Pro-American. Yeah. I'm doing the Raw Challenge. So, um, and it's like, and even with that, like, so many people qualified for the Pro-American. And I we just didn't sign up on time. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I signed up in three minutes. It was two minutes. I didn't have to sign up in two minutes. I got yeah. the Raw Challenge. And that was also three minutes. Like, I signed up in two minutes, and it was up at three. So it's like, geez, it's all based on how quick you could sign up for a yeah, meet. I, I just feel there should be some sort of way that you can send, extend him an invitation or something to or, come out to. Or, I mean, even just USAPL Raw Nationals, most of the top lifters in the world are from the United States. Yes. The judging there is just as strict, if not more strict, mm-hmm. in IPF meets. Have the records – have – lifters be able to break world records there because right. I, when i was going for 722 on my deadlift i had to be told that that was a world record i didn't know that that was a world nor did i care yes. because i don't care about the world record mm-hmm. i care about you use record because that is the yes. true world record i just yeah I, I i agree with you just complete yeah. garbage and it works like that in a lot of federations where you can break world records that so i mean if you look at it i could pull 750 at um the arnold and then someone mm-hmm. in the pro american could pull 730 and have the, right. world record. Get the world record which is i think i think that's a little crazy yeah but i think i think um uh, especially 83s but people around powerlifting know who the world record holder is yeah. and that's uu like everyone he's like he is the best 83 kg right. deadlifter of all time so yeah, I mean, one of the things, I think, I, I, another reason, I guess, because like, you know UU, and you're friends with UU, and that's why you want to try to, you know, contest this record in the same circumstances he did, mm-hmm. out of respect. I think it's the same sort of with me, because I watched the footage from, like, Worlds back when it was on ESPN, and mm-hmm. it's, like, the really grainy old color footage, because there are some channels that put it on YouTube. You know, like, I watched the 148s from that time, and I, I see what they're lifting, what they do and like that's the stuff that motivates me to come back this summer when i was hurt i thought to myself i was like you know maybe i just won't come back to powerlifting maybe i'll just you know lift for fun but uh i watched that sort of footage and i see the weights that they lift and i say you know in our time no one has broken this record it stood for like 30 something years Mm -hmm. i mean i would like to come back and try to raise the bar a little higher so yeah and and you know And, you know, it's like the truest form of world records, too. And this is might be yeah. USAPL IPF elitist speaking right now, but it is the truest form of world record. You're truly nearly at the weight that you're setting the record at. With USPA meets, you know, you have 215-pound guys competing at 198 and 181 setting records, which is all yeah. fine and dandy because they're setting USPA records. So mm-hmm. they're on the equal playing field, but it is – you're doing it with a stiff bar. You're doing it right. with the, you know, the, 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 and you know, the drug tested. You could debate about with the mm-hmm. quality of a record if it's drug tested or not. But yeah, I think if you set a record in USAPL IPF, that is like the truest form of a record. So, 
Well, and I think that it's kind of disingenuous to say that the deadlift bar doesn't contribute anything, and mm -hmm. that you're doing the lift under the same conditions as the people in the past. Because like 24 hours in deadlift bar makes such a big difference. It's, it makes a huge difference, especially for people that cut. Like I cut 13ish pounds, no, accidentally, because I should have only cut 11. But um, well, if it I happens. Had 24 hours to get my weight back, because at nationals 2018, I missed 302.5 on my third pull. Because my entire body just gave out. It mm -hmm. just cramped up and was destroyed. It, it served me well for eight out of nine attempts, but by that last one, it just did me in. I think that if I had had 24 hours and a deadlift bar at that meet, it would have been a completely different story. Oh, yeah. And that, that, that changes, that changes mm -hmm. things. It's, it's different because, you know, the lifters at the time that were set some of these all-time world records on the sniff bar, they didn't have that. No. You know, they were doing it with the two hours in the stiff bar. And they had to follow themselves. The weight, the bar weight just ascended then. They didn't mm -hmm. even get, like, the full flights to recover in some cases. I, just, I think that, you know, you got to kind of respect how things were done and try to do it that way. Yeah, but, for sure. I think, although I do love the deadlift bar, but yeah. it's just like, it. You're, you're absolutely right. It is something that just helps a lifter so mm -hmm. much. And the necessity of it just simply isn't there. Yeah. Like it's it's made, I I can under, the squat bar is made for safety. Right. It's like you don't want the bar whipping on you. A sixty five mm -hmm. pound squat bar, especially for equip lifters, that's safe. Like that yeah. is a, a that is made for safety. The deadlift bar is nature just help you lift more weight on the deadlift. Yeah. Which like I do think that there is some skill component to deadlift bar because mm -hmm. I have been pretty fortunate with the whip not killing me. But some of my friends have pulled on the deadlift bar, and it has been a disaster and a half for them. Just because, you know, they don't try to take the slack. They just kind of rip into it as hard as they can. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Once you get heavy enough, it's not the most ideal situation to just pull on it as hard as you can. Yeah. Um, um, Garrett Garrett, right now, um, based on what I've seen, mm -hmm. he's he, – I, I tell people, like, look at how he's pulling the slack out of the bar. And yes. that's – like, don't yank. Don't yank that oh, deadlift bar. It's incredible. He, he, he's shaving off, like, a seven or eight inches. Yeah. He's, he pulls so much slack out of that bar, it's almost like he's doing a rep before he does the rep. It's mm -hmm. it's amazing. Yeah, and I've... He's so, so good at it. Yeah, and I've been... I, I've seen that and, like, trying to mimic it with the stiff bar, too, and you don't yes. get a whole lot. But it does, it does help, but I have seen that, like, occasion where, you know, mm -hmm. it's a whippy bar. It's a noodle bar. Yep. So people think, oh, I should pull on it harder. And mm -hmm. I could, and then I just see them to get this girth way out of position with it. Right. Yeah, you don't really have to change how hard you pull on the deadlift bar to get the whip mm -hmm. to come out, to really take the slack. You just have to be more patient and do it for a longer period of time. Mm -hmm. But like for me, because I'm so used to pulling on the stiff bar, I usually like my. I feel like it's instinctive at this point to know when the slack is fully taken out. That's kind of when my body's like, all right, now it's time you know hinge into it and go to work. And then on the deadlift bar. It's like, oh no, there's more. There's more. You gotta, you gotta be more patient. And the timing of it, it just, it throws me off a little bit. So, I mean, there's, there's skills to everything. Yeah. The people in the USPA are doing amazing things. Like, I mean, Doctor Deadlift, you, you can't knock him. That's an unbelievable amount of weight to pull. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he can control it. I mean, the U.S. Open, he was pulling on like a platform that was like a skateboarding ramp. Yeah, I like, call it a church door. That's yeah. amazing. Oh yeah, for sure. And he has, and he's—I mean, seriously—he is Doctor Deadlift. The guy has yes. a PhD in deadlifting. Mm -hmm. He could do it conventionally. He could do it sumo. Yep. Dude knows how to deadlift. And yep. I just—I'm, but I'm also curious to see what they would do with a stiff bar. 
Like, I don't think I, he would be a terrific puller. Don't get me wrong, right. but I'm curious. Like, do you think there would ever be a situation where someone's better with the stiff bar, a really, really good deadlifter with the stiff bar? Because I've seen a few lifters throughout my life where I'm just like, I actually think that they're better off with the stiff bar. I think the whip is kind of hurting them. I've heard Richard Hawthorne, the 132 lifter that pulls a little over 600, mm-hmm. say in the past that he could pull more with a stiff bar than he could with a deadlift bar, but he never elaborated on what or why he would pull more. Mm-hmm. So that, it's interesting to me. Because like, some, when I was getting into hook grip, I watched a lot of videos from pullers like you know, Dr. Deadlift, uh, and they're talking about how it's like the limitless grip. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, his hands are like twice the size of mine, yeah. and he's pulling on a bar that's like a, like a little little matchstick in comparison to the stiff bar. It, I mean, it feels like that when I'm like, hooking on it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, yeah, I can, I can see how it's the limitless. When you get on the stiff bar, it's just different. I think that like some of the, if they're a smaller lifter, the stiff bar might do a number just because, you know, grip. I think is less of a concern when you're pulling on the deadlift bar, mm-hmm. but I'm also a person with really weak grip, so I can't comment on that because I'm sure there are some people out there with tremendous, tremendous grip where nothing would bother them. Like Keith uh, Corriera, mm-hmm. the 148, he pulled 666 in competition. I think he still has the open powerlifting number one spot for the 148 on deadlift, and uh, he pulled 684 on the stiff just in training. He, he, I mean, he moved up. He was like 180 pounds at the time, I think, but still. I mean, there are just people with tremendous grip, so oh, I yeah. guess it's hard to put any concrete ruling out there about whether stiff or deadlift bar would affect people. But he, I know he's the one of the cases where the stiff bar he could pull more. Yeah, I'm just. I was always just curious because that is one thing you can make a change to in all federations is make it like okay, you have to pull on a stiff bar. Yeah, like it is. It's not completely out of the realm of possibility. It's just what like Doctor Deadlift. Like who knows? Maybe this be a fucking beast with the. I think. A lot of the people that are pulling big on the deadlift bar, when they switch over, I mean, at first their pulls might go down, but strong is strong, mm-hmm. and um, what you train on is what you get good at using. Yeah. So I think that it might not have as big effect as people um, might think, mm-hmm. but I think that it definitely does make a difference. Yeah. You know? So sounds like you have a really good like just grasp of technique and understanding technique. So oh, I don't want to say that, but I, I have uh, a, a, an idea. <laughs> well, and, and then I gotta add. So I gotta ask this: You have this like unorthodox technique, and that is kind of how I stumbled upon your page. Um, because again, oh. your icon is just of the turtle. Yes, um, the truth Yeah, from Rick and Morty. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I stumbled upon it, and I looked, and it would come up like big mace be moved, but the technique for both squat and deadlift uh, was just super unorthodox mm. so like, like how did how did you start developing that was it just a like a a wide trial and error with you or was there some other reason well with squat the very first time i squatted i was like well, 115 pound kid my parents made me wait till i was 17 to start lifting because they're like we don't want you to start your growth but you know <laughs> i ain't getting any taller so I don't know why I waited. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much the same with I me. I had a squat rack in my basement. I, I worked up to 165, and I had a really wide stance because mm-hmm. I was I just under the impression that everyone that squatted, you know, has a wide stance. Because then the prior the year leading up, I watched a bunch of powerlifting YouTube videos, just because I wanted to get you know bigger. I want to get stronger, um, and it felt awkward. 
So the next time I squatted, I had, I watched a video with C.T. Fletcher. He was talking about <laughs> Tom Platt's. Tom Platt's amazing legs. And I looked at Tom Platt's legs, and I said, oh, my God, if I could have legs like that, man, imagine how good I'd be at kicking. So, <laughs> um, so I narrowed my stance, and I squatted 235. And I said, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, my squat went up 70 pounds in one go just by narrowing my stance. So I never changed, and I can never look back. I think it's been the five years now that I've been lifting, and just the whole time through, it's just been narrow. Well, I did have one period where Sean and I just tried to go wider. I I wore the Olympic lifting shoes. I tried to widen my stance, and it just it just it didn't destroy me because the weights went down, and I had to change the way I squatted. Like I actually had to kind of learn how to brace for the first time because mm-hmm. in the past I just I'd never brace at all. I just took the weight out on my back and just dive bombed as hard as I could and tried to rebound out of the bottom. And I got up to like four fifteen like that in my first year of squatting, but. After that, it just it completely dead flatlined. Mm-hmm. And then I started working with Sean, and he tried to get me to go wider. And um, I had to learn how to brace better because when I was going that wide, if I dropped down, I would just fall. The first time I tried, I literally just face planted with the weight. Mm-hmm. Like it just it, it buried me. Yeah. So I I just in my squat max jumped to 200 kilos, which for me was a big deal. It's not a big deal for most people because. And I think in general, my squat has been a, a sort of redheaded stepchild of all the lifts. <laughs> so, yeah, that's why I'm stuck in the narrow stance, though. Every time I've gone back to it, it's been better. I, like, I've toyed with the idea of doing what I did with Sean for the few months, going wide for a little while, and then coming back and seeing if it improves things. But right now, the squat's going up with a narrow stance. And if progress is being made, you don't really want to throw a monkey wrench into anything potentially injure my hips or something or tax them to the point where my sumo gets taken out so mm-hmm. that's why i like the narrow squat stance and then for deadlift the first time i pulled was conventional because i watched some videos of people like max tuning pulling sumo and um i looked at my friend she was watching him with me at the time she started lifting at the same time as me and i said like that's cheating like, I'm not going to do it like that. He's, he's lifting the weight like six inches. Like anyone could pull 500 pounds like that. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so I conventional. The first time I pulled conventional, I pulled 300 for 10. And then the second time I pulled 415, I had my friend bring weights over from his house because I only had a 300-pound Olympic set. So he brought over some 45s and some 10s, and I just put all the weight that I had on the bar, and I pulled that. And um, it was really hard. So I said, I'm not deadlifting anymore. I was like, I lifted all the weight that I have in my basement. I don't have to deadlift anymore. This is really hard. I hate this lift. I'm not doing it. Um, so I stopped. And then a few months later, on my birthday, I was at the Yukon Rec Center. Cause I, I went to Yukon for undergrad. And um, someone had left 405 pounds on the bar. And what I, walked, I walked into the gym, and I didn't have a warm-up or anything. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to see if I still got it. And um, I pulled it. And uh, as I pulling it, I felt a lot of things in my back cracking and popping, and it was not a very good feeling. And I got it to the top, and my legs felt like there were sheets of like paper being torn, and I just collapsed. And um, it took me a, like an hour to walk back to my dorm from the gym because I had to keep sitting down because I was in so much pain. And um, I, I looked at my roommate at the time because he, he went to my high school, and he, he, he had known me from when I had started lifting. 
and uh, he's like, dude, I don't know. I don't. I think that's the end. I don't think you're gonna lift again. <laughs> like, you, he's like, you really did it this time. And I was like, no, you know, I'm gonna find a way. And um, I saw someone on like a bodyglim.com forum page saying sumo deadlift didn't hurt, doesn't hurt your lower back. So um, like a couple weeks later, my back's feeling a little better. I went in the gym and I pulled sumo. And uh, the first time I pulled sumo, it was not like my conventional where it was very nice. It was a uh, hard, hard 225 pounds. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, how does anybody deadlift like this? And it felt so weak off the floor. But I stuck with it because if I tried to pull conventional, my back would immediately lock up. And I had like, it, it was just not good. Yeah. So um, I stuck with it. And uh, then like a month later, I pulled 455 just out of the blue, and uh, I said, okay, I'm going to stick with this. And that's why I kind of stuck with sumo. But when I started, it would hurt my hips way, way too much, and I was way too weak to go toes to plates. Mm -hmm. So I was basically doing conventional with my feet a little outside of my hands. Yeah. And then over the course of a few months, I kept working it out. And then I think six months after I started pulling sumo, uh, I went to the rec center. I would, like, drive to the Yukon rec center to deadlift because my parents used to freak out when I deadlifted really heavy in the basement because <laughs> they just were not used to the sounds. So they were like, if you're going to deadlift really heavy, you got to go somewhere where you can. And the only gym I knew of, really, was the Yukon gym that I could deadlift. So I, I went to Yukon. I tried toes to plates, and um, I pulled 545, I think, or something in the summer leading out to my first nationals. Mm -hmm. So that made me pretty excited, and that's why I stuck toes to plates. But in the beginning, it was so painful doing that that I would pull. I would pull sumo every other week. Mm -hmm. I would like pull. I have one day on the week where I'd pull sumo, and then I just take the next week off from sumo, and then I'd go back the week after. And that's just sort of how it worked out until eventually my hips just mobilized enough where it isn't painful, and now I could just do that every day of the week. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was. I, I, I when I first started, just kind of powerlifting kind of powerlifting because I wasn't competing. Conventional fucked my shit up. Um, I actually had decent technique, but I was just probably lifting too heavy for what I was used to, and it just fucked my back up. So that's why I switched to sumo. Mm -hmm. And I probably stumbled across the same, like, bodybuilding.com forum, but just in a different way. Like, someone else probably regurgitated what they saw on yeah. bodybuilding.com and told me. So, yeah, that was when I started switching to sumo. But, yeah, very similar. My hips hurt like a Bitch. Oh my God. And I was yes. lifting light. I was I was so scared I was gonna hurt myself again. I was lifting so light so I could just start creeping up because I was I was scared to I was scared to do over four plates again because I was just oh. like I was gun shy from like the cracking sound of like pulling five hundred for the first time. But yeah, I yeah I the, the hip but the the thing that I really like about your technique is that your squat is incredibly narrow and then your deadlift is super wide. Yes. It's like you're, you, you, like you can't even trigger people when you do that. It's like no, this guy, this guy is fighting for every off. weight he can on squat because he's narrowing. He's not doing that super, super wide, you know, trying to decrease his range of motion as much as possible. But on his deadlift, he does. It's like the funniest, like, like spectrum of like you, like if there was a deadlift spectrum and like to a squat spectrum, you would yes. be on both ends. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I his squat good. over here, and then all the way on the other side is his deadlift. I, I guess I could squat high bar. That would mm -hmm. that would I think push me a little bit further, like mm -hmm. the narrow stance high bar. Yeah, I'm not quite. I used to be when I started squatting. I was only high bar, 
because I thought low bar was more cheating. I was yeah. like, people can do more weight on this. I'm not going to do that. I'm not taking the easy way out there. <laughs> and then um, I was at UConn, and there's a kid there who competed in the 83. He was, like, my first introduction to, like, people in the area that powerlifted. He could squat 500. He's like, man, you got you got to go low bar. Like, yeah. just, just switch. Just switch. It'll be fine. <laughs> the squat will go up. So I switched. Yeah. I, I'm assuming you wouldn't recommend your technique to other, like, young lifters. Um, would you would you like tell like hey you gotta lift like this? I don't think that people should try to mimic my squat at all, but I do think that there are points in my deadlift that are applicable to like all people. Not so much the toes to plates, but some of the different like cueing and some of the different things that I try to do, I think would be beneficial. But no. <laughs> but yeah, I that. There is some things you could probably take from everyone's like a technique yeah. and apply it somewhere, but where a lot of people think like, "Oh, I seen this lifter do it. I should do exactly what they no. do." No, I think JP Kaushi has like written an article and he literally included me as an example not to try to mimic on the sumo deadlift. <laughs> He's like, "You just, you, it's just like, don't try to do that. <laughs> like, it's it's not good. It's it's terrible." <laughs> I, like, I, 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 like, I love John Paul. I think he's an amazing, amazing lifter. And uh, I agree with everything that he wrote in the article because especially the way I set my hips just mm-hmm. is not uh, good for a lot of people because mm-hmm. if their hips are that high, their shoulders would be like 18 feet over the bar and they'd just be completely bent forward and it'd be awful. Oh, yeah. So I can understand that a lot. Yeah. I think and... it's just, yeah. I think it's just the way people set up. Um, I think like one thing I see that some people could improve with their sumo poles, especially with the stiff bar pullers, to get the most out of it, um, opening their hips more. Mm-hmm. Like, the people that are going toes to plates, I see some people going toes to plates, but they're, they're like, their hips look like they're closed up, and they have pretty decent distance, a gap between um, their hips and the bar. And I think they're, ta- they're losing some ability to get some poundage out of it. But I think that also has to do with arm length, so that could be a thing. But, um... I think there's stuff, like you said, that's applicable from everyone's technique to everything. I mean, my squat, I don't think anyone should try to mimic any part of it because um, it's not very technically sound. I just kind of muscle it up. Because it's, it's like one of the lifts I have to do. Yeah. Like, I have to register a total, so I have to squat, I have to bench. I used to really like benching. I When I got into lifting, I only benched. I didn't squat, I didn't deadlift. I just benched all the time. Mm-hmm. Deadlift, I think, is the only lift that I've actually sort of reached a level of relative technical proficiency mm-hmm. i think that i can kind of be confident in saying that i have an understanding of how to deadlift but the other lifts um no i would not advise anyone to try to mimic my technique or do anything like that mm-hmm. i don't think that people should try to squat with their feet as narrow as mine because just for the average individual it's just, it's just not ideal yeah oh yeah for sure and it's very similar with like the the narrow sumo stance i think that has merit Mm-hmm. Especially for the, the lifters with the shorter femurs. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, like but the it, cone it, style sumo. Yeah, it it is a. I don't know. I'm like it is a tool that you could definitely use, and it could mm-hmm. work for some people. And there are some great deadlifters out there who do that. You know, mm-hmm. narrow stance sumo. But it's just just because you saw SSK Bob do it right. doesn't necessarily mean that you should probably do this. Right. Like maybe take a step back in it. But with that being said. Yeah. Deadlift seemed like you work on a lot. 
and deadlift seems to be the lifter where you kind of went back to the drawing board a lot on. So yes. give us a technique tip. What is one cue or tip that has yeah that you use that will that you want to give to others? Okay, so my favorite one is one that I stole from Shiko, I believe, and it's try to imagine you're standing up between two hot plates. So like there's one behind you and one in front of you, mm -hmm. and you want to keep your knees and your butt and everything from scraping them. Cause uh, I am not the most educated on technique, but I hear a lot of people saying to really sit back into like your sumo deadlift, and it's strange to me mm -hmm. because my whole idea is that I want my hips as close as possible to the bar. So it's just like you know you squeeze your glutes and your the weight is just there. It is you know it's <laughs> up. There it goes, but I think that's very leverage-dependent. But mm -hmm. I would say the setting up between two hot plates thing really does help. Because I mean, if you're trying to open your hips up as much as possible, you're not going to have the thing where you like squat down way too much into your pole or something. But I think that's more of a cue for people that pull with their feet pretty, pretty wide to the plates. So I, I like that. Um, long arms. That I didn't realize that was something that a, a cue that I was just doing instinctively. Mm -hmm. It's kind of shorten the range of motion. But I think that's a thing that people should really try to learn and i think like the best way to do that is just stand up straight and just try to reach or touch the ground without moving anything but just pulling your arm down to tighten up your lats because um i don't do the thing i did uh, squeeze the pencil in your armpit that sort of thing um or the people that say like turn your elbows kind of in to engage your back i don't do any of that i don't actively try to set any part of my upper back i just kind of let it tighten on its own by mm -hmm. pulling my arms down as hard as i can into the bar and then when I take the slack out, I just feel everything in my upper back tighten up. But I don't act intent, act actively try to close my armpits or do anything like that. Because um, I feel like when I do that, I end up trying to pull the weight with my arms mm -hmm. instead of just trying to like lock the weight in and then just push up with my legs. Yeah, I've, I've uh, Gangsu and I think Joe Stanek mm -hmm. have said that that pencil one and that like that one when you think about it is very similar just lengthening your arms. Yeah. It's like you kind of have to pinch your right. the, the armpits together when you lengthen your arms. And that was another cue yeah. that Joe has told me, and that's worked a lot. It's like treating it like an arm extension. But yes. the hot plates one, I have never heard that one, and I like it. Oh, yes, thank you. That yeah, I, I like that. I, try to, I tell people to do that, and then sometimes I feel bad because I'm like, oh, wait a second. You know, this is something where – it's sort of leverage dependent. It's very difficult for some people to just like push their hips way open, go toes to plates, and then try to get as upright as possible. And I think trying to do that could be disadvantageous to some people. Mm -hmm. So it's just sort of a thing where you got to try it and see what works for you. Like the pencil thing doesn't work for me, yeah. but that doesn't mean that if it works for you, that you should stop doing it. Mm -hmm. Because I like I'm not an authority on anything. I've had people that have asked me before to like coach them in the deadlift and. I, 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 I say I'm not qualified. I don't know what I'm doing or I, well enough. I know what works for me or what has helped me, but I'm not going to, like, foist something on you or some sort of dogma on another person. So, yeah, you and I think I, that's a big thing. Yeah, you and I would get along great on that because people <laughs> tell me, it's like, should I do – should I deadlift? I've been deadlifting in squat shoes. For three weeks, I'm like, no, what? No, 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 no! Don't do that! Please don't do that! I'm not oh, telling I, I you to do that. that. Um, <laughs> okay. uh, Garrett from Masthetics, I think when I was first starting to lift, he would pull conventional and um, Oli shoes. So when I my back got healthy enough to deadlift again, conventional, I was like, oh, this is a good accessory, you know. 
I, I get some quad, because people told me I was quad dominant. So I was like, you know, you're putting two and two together. People say when you got the heeled shoes, you get your quads more into the lift. So I figured that if I just put on some only shoes, my conventional pole would just be magic. And <laughs> it tanked it so bad. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, I think what, yeah. what people told me was like with the squat shoes, they would assume that I'll be better off doing conventional than sumo because you have yes. to rely so much on staying upright where mm-hmm. the squat shoes were pitching me forward. But yeah, I I think people were looking for like any like evidence on why I was progressing in a deadlift and for some reason they went to the shoes and well, that I think was in your case you're just a really strong individual and you quote unquote didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. So you're just doing what you're doing. And like if people aren't if people don't tell you something you're doing something wrong and you're getting stronger, you're just gonna keep getting stronger. Oh, yeah, for you know? sure. You're just gonna yeah. keep doing it. Like I was doing enough things right. They were right. but they were like looking at all the wrong things that I was doing. Like Exactly. Like, I was like, you guys are like, you're not looking at everything else that I'm doing. I'm like, I'm staying mm-hmm. pretty upright. I'm staying behind the bar. I'm yep. staying, you know, I'm like, my, my, my arms are pretty long while I deadlift. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think then the quickest one was, oh, the shoes. Like, we got to yeah. look at it. Like, that's the, that's the first thing you guys look yeah, at. Yeah, there's like no secret sauce to any of it. Yeah. It's just, you know, time and effort yep. and slowly but surely accumulating, like, PRs when you feel like you're ready for it, mm-hmm. or in when you have a, a coach that is more stringent, or at least re- is able to rein you in better than I was because I'm I don't have a lot of training maturity so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, you know, PRing when your coach says that it's a good time to PR, it's just that over a period of time. I think that that's how people just get stronger, and where you end up doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, the yeah. goal is just to get as strong as you can. Yeah, and I think Ross Petkoff said that before. I was just kind of in a conversation with him, and he's, if you want to get better at any of the three lifts, just do it more often, and then constantly try to get better at it. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of it is just trial and error with Mm -hmm. technique that is being told and is proven and has worked, and you trying to put that into your lifts, and if you do it long enough, you're going to get stronger. Yeah. Like, if you're not consistent with it, you're not going to see any progress. Yeah. But. I think one of the things that I like about just, you know, lifting in my basement, having all that stuff there, you know, I have the Ohio Power Bar, the comp plates, the whole nine yards. Um, when I want to try a new technical thing out, like, I, I love fitness YouTube still. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I haven't gotten over it. It's been five years. I still watch the videos, you know, that they're like, oh, you know, learn how to squat with X individual. And I'll just try new things. I'll, it'll be like 11 at night. I'll be like, yeah, you know what? I'll pause the video. I'll get out of bed. I'll walk over to the squat rack and I'll try it out just to see how things feel. Yeah. And sometimes if it feels pretty good when I do it in the night, I'll try it the next day. I mean, I've had some things that are good and some things that are just disastrous. But yeah. Yeah, so if you say trial and error. Oh, yeah. And, yeah and, and a lot of that has helped me too is like those Ed Cohen and Mark Bell videos. Oh, yes. Those, oh, my God. Those, some of those cues that they oh. use in those videos were just, like, they were dynamite for me. They mm-hmm. were so important, and I don't even think I was powerlifting. I think I was just at – because I, I started off not powerlifting, or I mm-hmm. did my compound movements, but I was just really just – I liked working out. And yep. I saw those videos, like, okay, you know, I, you have to lift with correct technique in order mm-hmm. to build muscle. And I, I stumbled across a Mark Bell, Silent Mike, and Ed Cohen videos, and yep. the cues that they had there were just like I constantly used them. Mm-hmm. 
and then they're they're never they're they're always gonna really hold true everything every technique tip that i've got or received or i've told to other person seems to be regurgitated from that video yeah. and it was probably regurgitated from someone else like prior i mean i just revisited those videos a couple months ago when i was trying to decide how i was gonna be approaching like training my deadlift and i mean you know Ed talks about his accessories, what he did after every one of his workouts, and that's what I do after every one of my deadlift workouts. You know, stiff legs, bent over rows, mm -hmm. uh, weighted pull-ups. That I mean, and it's, it's it's working. Like my deadlift is substantially stronger than it was before, just by you know doing what Ed said. And I mean, my body, my leverage is everything is just very different than Ed. But some of you know some of everything works for everybody. I think so. Yeah, I, I mean. This is gold. I love those videos. I I want. I'm upset. I heard that Ed came to nationals this year. He did. You already said to sit out nationals. Ed Cohn came, and he's, he's uh, um he lives Kai, in Illinois. Kai Marcano. Kai sent me pictures he took with Ed. <laughs> I was like, you, you are you kidding me? You got to beat Ed Cohn the year I decided to sit out nationals. Ed came. I was so mad. Oh man. I was furious. I couldn't believe it. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, shout out to Kai on that, but, um, but you know what, I'm kind of spoiled when it comes to that, is because Ed Cohen's from Illinois, or he, he oh. lives in Illinois, so he's at mm -hmm. a lot of, like, meets, so I've ran into Ed oh. Cohen, like, oh, seemingly, like, every meet that's in Illinois, Ed Cohen's there, four or five times, but, he just but, knows, he just knows, yeah, like, but the, he, but the funny he, thing is, like though, I, but he the just, funny... He's got the, the feeling. There's a meat coming up. <laughs> yeah, he and he and, and it's like random. It's like USAPL Raw Nationals. He's there, yep. big meat. But then it's like some local meat too. He's just like there. He's, but then it's like, but then he's not at a meet. He's not at a big meet mm -hmm. in Illinois. But then he's at another oh. like small meet. It's like he comes when he wants, and people yep. obviously bombard him when he's ever there. And I only mustered up the courage to talk to him at Raw Nationals, oh. and all I. <laughs> All I said was, it was a very funny situation because it was me, um, Garrett Fear, yep. Daniela Mello, and oh. Sean Noriega in a circle, and Ed Cohen was there. And I was like, I shouldn't be here right now. Like, this doesn't make me, my presence here is not felt. So I was just sitting there kind of like, I got to find a way to get out of this because I just feel, <laughs> I feel discouraged right now. So I just looked at Ed, I'm like, hey, um... I'm Angelo. I think you're amazing. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. Not in my head, not in my head that, and walked away. That's my away. biggest concern. I want to meet him so badly because I admired so much of what he did. And then, um, I, you know, it's going to happen. I'm going to see him. It's, it's my first round nationals when I went. Um, I almost missed some of my attempts because I would leave the warm-up area to go find lifters I had seen on Instagram because I wanted to take a picture with them, or I wanted to meet them, and like they couldn't, they couldn't find me sometimes. So I just be gone. Yeah. It's like trying to find these uh, these people. So that's my concern. You know, I'm gonna, gonna see Ed, and I'm not gonna know what to say. Yeah. I just didn't know what to say back then. I just like. Okay, I mean, okay, it's it's a, a weird, it's a super weird prospect sometimes. Like, cause what what do I say to him? Like, right. Aside from he's heard it all, right? Mm -hmm. He's probably heard it all. So it's like. Like, the only thing, like, he's amazing. He's one of my favorite listeners of all time. Yeah. And I have not mustered up the courage to talk to John Hack because he was also at Raw Nationals. His girlfriend oh, was competing. Man. No, I had no shame. My first Nationals <laughs> hack was there. He's walking around with, like, the half gallon of Fairlife milk. I ran across, like, 
the there was like a el- escalator or whatever, and then there's this el- entry area, and then the venues. That, and I like ran across the thing to catch him and Joey. Yeah. It was the first time I ever saw both of them, I was like, John, can I take a picture with you, please? I really admire you. And he's like, Yeah, sure, <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I was just, I was, I was right in front of him. I like, I don't even care about pictures. I just want to say hi to the guys, like, because he is my favorite lifter. He's mm-hmm. amazing. And then I was looking at him, and I was just probably just staring at him, like. How the hell is that guy in my weight class? Like he's yeah, so he's, he's so he's buff, huge. he's so big, he's tall. He is bigger. He looks. I mean, Garrett Gar is probably sick of hearing how like much better John Hack is him at this point. But he he was with Garrett, like standing right next to him, and he was just every bit as big, if not bigger, than Garrett Fear. And Jeez. Garrett walks around to like two hundred five, two hundred ten pounds. So I was looking like Jesus Christ, this guy's massive, and I'm just like staring at him, and I'm like. And I'm, I'm seriously, like, five feet away from him. I'm, like, in a conversation that he's in. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what do I say? Do I say, hi, John, I think you're great. And as a 26-year-old male, like, 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 what do I do? Like, I'm 26 years old, I'm a fully grown adult, and I'm going to go up to another grown man and be like, hey, dude, you're uh, you're really amazing. And then, like, walk away. Like, I was just I sitting there. And then I didn't say hi, and he walked away. I'm like, well, that was, that was a waste. Because there are, like, lifters there that are almost – they're celebrities in mm-hmm. – uh, in, like my eyes, they're celebrities, and they're just like walking around. Oh, you know, it's so hard to just like approach them. Yeah, because like, you know, it's, they're just a normal person that lifts really heavy weights. Yeah. at the end of the day, but it's just so uh, it's just it's just strange. It's it's just like surreal. Yeah, because when you see them on social media, it's like I don't I expect I'm gonna meet a lot of these people in real life, and then I go to nationals and they're there, and like oh, uh-oh. yeah, you know, I want to say hi, but. How I'm gonna go about doing it? It's not probably gonna be the prettiest. <laughs> well, the same. Well, like Lane Norton was another one where I, I mean, because those guys are like hack and edit are powerlifters that I mm-hmm. kind of got involved in. But Lane Norton was seriously one of the first videos I watched on YouTube. His uh-huh. his video logs on nutrition, debunking fitness myths, mm-hmm. all of his things that he did just throughout his career. I followed. He was him and the guys from 3DMJ were seriously my like. They were my people who got me into yep. fitness. So, and I ran PH3, the, the thing. People on the mm-hmm. show are fucking sick of me talking about PH3. Um, and they're probably sick of me telling this story. I've heard that's the real uh, Spine Snapper 3000 in yes. terms of the volume. If you can't handle the volume, you will get hurt. So, oh, <laughs> so I, I'm like, the, I, I guess I'm the outlier that just didn't get hurt and actually took I mean, it that into That sounds like the me. beginning of my training. I just ran small off on loop. Yeah. For my squat and my bench. This is all I did. Yeah. And then I just deadlift three times a week. I had a conventional day, a deficit day, and a sumo day. And three I just go as far as I could. Even on PH3, you're not deadlifting three times a week. You're doing it <laughs> twice. But that that's rough. Six-year-old. Yeah. No, that's... I think that's the thing. That and the fact that I, I, there are... There's just so many people that look like they're way too big to possibly be in their weight class mm-hmm. when they go to nationals. It's like that and just like seeing the lifters that I really admire there. Yeah. There's that combined... It's just an experience. That I was like bummed they didn't go this year, especially you know Ed showed up. <laughs> I really missed out this time, but I think I'll I'm 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 doing a meet in May. My girlfriend keeps telling me to sign up because I'm gonna miss the early entry date and it's gonna be more money. So I, I'm gonna do a meet in May, um, to qualify, and then I'm if I don't have interviews with dental school at around that time and i can make it then nationals because I, I really want to go to nationals and um, i'm hoping yeah yes. the looks of the nationals is gonna be pretty great this year just based yeah. on the daytona beach setting yeah well um i mean 
my first time I won nationals was in Florida. So if I can make it a two, a you know, two for in Florida, that'd be cool. But I'm not, I'm not count. I, I don't know. I'm not counting on anything. Um, I'm really interested to see what Charles does at Sheffield because I know he had a hamstring strain. Charles is just another person. You, I, he, I assume he didn't come to nationals as like a spectator or anything this year. But um, when you do get to see him in person, dude, he he looks like a He-Man action figure. <laughs> dude, he is so muscular; it is unbelievable. He he looks bigger than some of the eighty threes. My yeah. first time I saw him was uh, when I was a fifty nine. I was in the warp area for prime time. He was in the back area, and uh, he had his shirt off. And I went, "Oh my god!" It's like I'm not going up to sixty six. <laughs> like, you gotta be kidding me! Like, look at this. It's like how am I ever gonna compete with something like that? This man's like three times the human I am. He's massive. Yeah. So um. That's like reminds me of Marcus. Marcus, muscle man Marcus is so oh big. Oh my goodness! When I talked yeah, to him, I like degrees. I was just looking at like. He's a white, like, how is he that big? That's crazy. And it's like, lean, I mean, I, I believe he's 183 just because how fucking lean he is. But, like, where Hack is, like, 210, but he's, like, a tall 210. Like, Marcus, mm-hmm. like, whoa. He's like yeah. a bodybuilder 210. I mean, a bodybuilder yeah, 83. Yeah, sometimes in the warm area, it feels like you're at, a, like, a bodybuilding show. Some of these people that come out after they weigh in, I look at them and I go, oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, I should have gotten better shape just for the weigh-in period. <laughs> Terrible. These people, they look like they showed up in, like, show-ready condition. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that, that was that was the difference between, like, APF and WPC meets, the USAPL meets, where I was usually, like, one of the more muscular guys there and more defined guys there. And then USAPL meets, it's like, everyone is pretty damn defined and muscular. Yeah. They, they well, all know what they're really- doing. I think that's the interesting thing when people are like, ah, oh, look at all these USAPL fake natties. Look how, like, jacked they are. It's like, oh, go to Raw Nationals and just go in the warm-up room and look at how big and jacked, like, 75% of the competitors there are. Yeah. It's like, it's just, that. that's what they look like. It's just the level of competition, the level of individuals that go there. It's just giant people that show up. For I, do, I do like how they believe that athletes who have, you dedicate a lot of their time to training and working out aren't going to be muscular that they, they, yeah. they have to be on steroids like do you guys not understand that they're all lifting like heavy weights that's how you build yeah. muscle like they they they're not as big as nfl players but they're as right. big as like you know just your regular but they're bigger and more muscular than your average joe because they lift yeah. insane amount of weights but of course it's always right. the steroid thing like guys and i think some people that take like i don't watch my diet at all mm-hmm. I, I live on pizza there's this there before nationals 2018 there's this big thing because uh someone asked me what i ate pre-workout i was like fish sticks and triorals like, <laughs> there are people there are people though that actually watch their diet and they they've mm-hmm. taken their accessory and their hypertrophy work seriously for years yeah and I've, I've been doing hypertrophy work for a couple of months uh, i'm like oh my god i don't know how people do this year day in and day out for years but i, I that's why i can understand like these people they're doing everything right why are they not gonna look like muscular? Oh. They're not gonna look huge. Why are they not gonna be super strong? Like, and then, there are people that have built their lives around powerlifting that are competing right now. But then the funny thing is, like, with the like the the little stereotypes that powerlifters have. So the stereotypes that powerlifters have is that they're fat, out of shape, yep. big beards, tattooed guys. And of course, there's guys like that who exist. But then the stereotype of USAPL is they're all jacked, muscular um but they're on steroids like but 
do you guys understand that the guys who are in like the the who are heavier set who are more hardcore but they're not as defined are in uspa and they're probably taking steroids and the guys in usapl and ipf are drug tested and they're not taking steroids like this stereotype doesn't match like something isn't matching up here i think People have also sort of set the bar way too low for what people can accomplish naturally. Mm-hmm. You, know, you see people that are saying stuff like a oh, 450 will because you, you can't do it naturally. Like, oh, okay, so explain to me how like 800 or 900 men in the USAPL have passed the drug test. Yeah. It's just like passed through the screen. Oh. Somehow they're feeling the cats like a thousand fake natties. Oh, you know, it's just... <laughs> because people watch Icarus for one time in their life and thinking that not every drug test is clean. Like, hey, guys. We're not using government cooperation to cheat drug tests in the USAPL and IPF. Exactly. We're And also, I don't think a lot of these guys are going to be slick enough or smart enough to cheat a drug test in the IPF or USAPL because it's yeah, really I, I difficult to do. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't know anything about like passing a drug test. I don't even know about drug dosages or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I've been out of meat tested. They just show up at your house. Yeah. Like, without any warning. I, I remember one time I was driving back. I picked up my girlfriend, they were driving back to my house, and uh, my dad called me. He's like, Matt, there's a person from the USAPL here to drug test you. I was like, oh, really? He's like, yeah, they're, like, they're here right now. You have to get back. Like, you have you have a set time interval to get back home. I was like, oh, my oh God. Oh, my. Like, they don't, they don't give you any warning. I think the Michael Sear got, like, blood tested a couple of days after Nationals. They just, yeah. yeah I they, don't know how you could cheat. Yeah, they did that. And then, like, the also the... They kind of always play the political card, at least spectators or people who outsiders looking in on the sport play the political card. Like, oh, you know, they only test selective the the select guys who aren't the poster boys of their federation. It's like, hey guys, I've seen Russ or he get tested in person, just like right immediately after he walked off the platform. And if you guys go on the database, he's getting tested out of meat. Yeah. He is the poster boy of USAPL, in my right. opinion. Like, yeah, what do guys. people think? Yeah, he has, like, a body double? Yeah. And, like, they go to the bathroom, like, ah, let me go to the bathroom real quick. And then he's got his, like, his assistant comes out. <laughs> and then he's I, like, and then, take and, the drug test now. And then, well, then a lot of people do the whole, you know, and I, and I hate this, like, that this, because it's just said so many times where, like, drug testing isn't drug free. And then they, like, give me some trumped up stories about, you know, Oh, and well, I, I witnessed this guy at this meet go into the bathroom with his handler, and the handler shouldn't be there. It's like, I, like, if yeah. you're going to cheat a drug test, it just wouldn't be your handler pissing into Anyone a cup for you. Anyone that has been drug tested at a meet will know. The guy looks at your parts yep. while you're going. Your handler is not going to be able to take the drug test for you. It just, that's not how it works. Yeah, so I, what do they think? What do they think? You go into a stall with your handler and you come out with a cup of urine and you're like, oh, here you go. The, I'm taking my test. And then, like, if, like, if you're going to orchestrate a cheat, it's got to be much better than that. Yeah. Right? A guy going into the room with you, it's like everyone could see what's happening exactly. right now. But, I think we got a bag of, I got a pre-made bag of urine in my singlet the whole meet just in case <laughs> I get drug tested. Yeah. I mean, competing is hard enough. Competing drug right. tests is going to be way harder. But yeah. it, it's always going to happen, though. That's, I mean, that's... people get caught. People get caught all the time. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and they, and they do, and it's, and it's usually for... Because people have the notion that you're going to test positive for stimulants, which you can in meat testing. Right. But they're all scared, like, oh, you can't take anything in USAPL. It's like, well, 
most of the people I've seen that test positive have been for anabolic steroids. Yeah, no, they, they don't test positive for, like, a little stimulant. It's just, like, everything under the kitchen sink. Yeah. You know, the whole, they blow up the lab, so to speak. Yeah, it's usually some elevated TE levels or some, yep. like, yeah. Kelly Michael Brand is, like, the good example <laughs> of that, where he tests positive for everything under the sun. Yep. And yeah, the whole stack. Yeah, so, so much. So. I don't know how that got in my, uh, my third-party tested protein supplements that was so cringe i wrote a blog i wrote a blog piece about that i wrote a blog piece just like okay obviously the guy really cares about being drug free because you can in the sport test positive and kind of save face like you can't test positive and your reputation will be ruined maybe people will be mad for like two weeks but then if you just jump to uspa and do crazy numbers people be like oh yeah he's strong still like when you try to fight so much for it about being drug free, that's when the problem comes in. And I think Kelly yeah. Michael Brand is like the perfect example because I haven't seen anything come out of him for a long exactly. time after, like lifting wise, doing anything. It's just yeah, you just you gotta own up to it. Yeah, and, and like, yeah, it's like that's the oh, that's the only way you can go about doing it. It's like your reputation isn't ruined if you if you do right. it. Like it's it's really not ruined. It's you can. You might not get into the IPF Hall of Fame. You might not get into those plays. Huh. I think mean, you definitely won't. But you could you could still save face if you test positive. There's a lot of I guys who jump ship. Go on Instagram and they're like, ah, oh, you know, this guy he's on drugs, so I'm not gonna follow him, even though he's really strong. Like mm-hmm. in general, I know like for me, I, I follow people because I like seeing them lift huge things. And just the, the spectacle of it. Yeah. I don't care if he's on drugs. If Kelly had been like, yeah, guys, I'm sorry, you know, it's getting really hard. Big Ray. Like, come on. <laughs> the guy squats 500 kilos. How am I going to compete with that? I, like, you know, Kelly, I understand. That's mm-hmm. a really hard place to be in. I think anybody in your position would be looking for some way to edge out somebody that literally squats a ton. And there, so, and there's, and there are guys who have. There's guys who have. The right. guys who jump ship and they're like, I don't fucking, like, I need to do this now. Right. Like, I want to start taking steroids. I want to start taking PEDs. Right. The, this sport pretty much allows it. I mean, it, we yeah. have a, we do have a, steroid PED lead. He probably could have gracefully transitioned into yeah. untested lifting and nobody would have given him. Oh, and, I, and, I, actually, and, I, and I'll, I'll one-up it. I think people will respect him for it. Yeah. I think people will respect him greatly for it because within yeah. the inner circle of powerlifting, there's always that talk like, maybe Ray Williams should start taking steroids. Mm-hmm. That would be awesome to see. Well, my thing with Ray, um, considering, you know, let's, we're considering, every, you know, no fake natty, no mm-hmm. nothing. Um, I don't know how much stronger he could get if he did take drugs. Mm-hmm. Like, he's at such a high level in terms of the weight he's lifting. I don't know if his body would support it. Like, he could take a lot of stuff, but is his squat going to go to, like, 1,300 pounds in yeah, speed? Yeah. Like, we're, we're reaching the point where just the human body cannot... I, don't, I think the human body just can't support the weight. Mm-hmm. Like, he's literally pushing the boundaries of what, like, the human body can do. Drugs or not, yeah. you know? I, it's just that I think that's the thing. Uh, like I hear, you know, people talk about like what could this like IPF or USAPL any affiliate lifter do if they're on drugs, and part of me thinks like either they go up a weight class, yeah. or in some circumstances, how like, it wouldn't go up that much. It wouldn't be that crazy. Like now we have people in the seventy four that are beating this one sixty five untested records. Yeah, they're destroying them. Like I it just I don't know. Yeah, How I much think, are they really going to add? 
Well, I think, like, say if Russ or he jumps to USPA, I don't think he needs to take steroids. No, I think he would just be helped with the 24-hour weigh-in, and he would no. just be that much better of a power lifter. Exactly. And he, he's got some little grip issues. Those are going to go away when mm-hmm. he's at the deadlift bar. It's a thinner diameter, you know? He, he'd, be, he'd smash records regardless. He would squat you know? 700, too, I believe. Oh, he'd probably like, squat more. With, 20, with 24-hour weigh-in, yeah. if you give him 24 hours to rehydrate and replenish... He'd get the squat bar, too, right? So it's the, a little more stable. I think with him, I mean, it could very well be. It's a 55. Like, for me... And he's got a much bigger squat than me and a much bigger frame. Like, I've never felt that much of a difference between the 55 and the 45. I have felt the difference between the 65 and the 45, though. Oh, okay. The 65, that's APF, uses the Bulldog bar. And that thing I've sucks. I've never used a squat bar before. Does it feel, like, different? Um, it, it feels... Alright, so the 55 one feels a little different. Um, but not... It, it's You can manage with it. The okay. 65, you have to change a lot of things. Oh, the sixty, Oof. the sixty-five one's like a pipe. It's oh god, it that would me for a loop. Yeah, yeah. Because I got that was the problem when I cut the fifty-nine. The one well, half the reason I bombed out on depth was because my knees just got destroyed. So I was sitting back as far as possible to just take as much stress off of them as I could, and uh, that made hitting depth a little difficult. And then the bar would slide down my back because I lost a lot of muscle in my upper back, mm-hmm. and I just didn't have a shelf. Like, just getting the bar to sit on my back for squats was a nightmare. It, it would, like, it, it literally fell off my back sometimes in training. If I, like, do a set of five or something, it's, it's just gone. Yep. So, I couldn't imagine trying to squat with, like, a pipe. <laughs> it's. I don't think my back has gotten that much bigger. I mean, I with the high bar, it kind of works, but it's not, it's not the high bar you see in training. It's a completely different alter technique where my elbows are out a little bit more, oh. like... I'm a little wider with my grip too. It just it's it's a different squat than I am with a 45 pound bar. Which APF and WPC, I'm probably never going to be competing in those federations again. But they got to change that. Like, there's no reason to have a 65 pound squat bar for raw lifters. Does the 55 have the same tensile strength? What's up? Does the 65 and the 55 have the same tensile strength? I like the same whippiness. I'm not. I, I like. Is there an actual advantage but, to using the 65? But there will be. There will be a whip though with that 65 one because it's long. It's a long oh. bar, and the collar on the bar is huge. It's just a really big bar. It just. It's just. A, it's a mega bar. And then. So it's like a deadlift bar that they made thick. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty like much a deadlift and, bar with a pipe. Yeah. Now, like with the, I think, I gotta look into the manufacturing of it, like why they do it. But I think it's for equipped lifters, just them handling the bar. Like, I think huh. if you use a 55-pound bar, the equip lifters wouldn't be able to, like, feel it. Huh. Like, on their back. I think the 65-pound bar with all the equipment you get to, you know, and then you're not doing a super narrow thing. You're, like, out wide. So that's why I think they use an APF and WPC are heavily single-ply and multi-ply federations. Yep. So that's why I think they use it. But they said, like, oh, it, and it does de- – it, it decreases the whip with, like, 500 pounds, of course. Mm-hmm. But then when you start getting into, like, the 900s, there's still a whip into the bar. Um, but I, I guess, like, if Ray Williams did it raw, there would be a lot of whip. I think equip lifters, there's not a lot of whip because they're not, like, super explosive. Yep. They're kind of slow with everything. So that's – the 65-pound yeah, bar is for equip lifters. It's not for raw lifters. Even raw classic. It's for yep. equip guys. Yeah, and they're not walking it out. They have the mono. So that yeah. just cuts up the whip anyway, too, because they, they're just right there. 
Yeah, and the same thing. I walk out. I walk the. I walk out at APF meets, even with the mono layer. It just. I hate walking out of mono. I tried it for the first time a couple weeks ago, and oh my god, it is the worst. I like to like push way into the rack mm-hmm. when I'm setting up to squat, and uh, I wasn't ready for the arms to kind of like swing forward a bit when I did that. And I went, oh my god, this is gonna be a disaster. That yeah, that was an experience. Yeah, it wasn't awesome. I the the mono. Respect for you to walk out from the mono because I don't know how you do it with the waist that you squat. I, I actually said that fun. I felt like old. Well, well, no one's ever working the arms though. Oh okay. So that's the thing. Like it's still in competition. They still work the arms, but it's manual. It's not like the automatic one. Yep. But the but I was at Indy City three weeks ago. Um, and I I squatted on the mono lift and it was the same thing. Like. Because uh. I could, I could kind of push against the bar, but mm-hmm. then you know, I, no one was working the arms, so I was just it would turn into, you know, a yeah. combo. But <laughs> all right, we've been talking over an hour. This has been a terrific interview. Thank you for coming no on problem. Two White Lights, man. Yep, no problem. It was a pleasure. If you ever want me to come back, I'd be happy to come back. Oh, for sure. It was great to talk about some different things. Yeah, we talked about a lot, man. I'm I'm yeah. happy about this. A lot of deadlift. I feel bad we didn't get to stick to the outline too too well, but I like I, I end up going on a tangent sometimes when I talk <laughs> to people. It just goes all over the place. I feel bad for you in terms of editing. I feel like it's gonna be kind of a nightmare. Actually, no, it's not. Only only thing I edit is things that are wrong with the audio. Okay. I keep tangents in because listeners love the tangents, as long as oh. it's powerlifting related. They love the love, love the tangents. That's why I told you when the outline comes out. I it's it's the outline's there, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna shoot from the hip a lot, depending yeah. on how the uh, the conversation goes. But again, thank you for coming on. Good luck with everything, and no I really really hope to see you at Raw Nationals 2020 in beautiful Daytona I, Beach. I really want to come out. Um, I mean, the goal is the five times bodyweight deadlift. I really want it. I think that um. That is nasty. Five-time bodyweight deadlift. Up to par, um, and the accessories keep working, and I don't get hurt. I think that it's it's possible. We'll see. I mean, this week is a big dictator on turn in terms of what I want to do for May. Oh yeah, good yeah, good luck with that. Is like a big thing. Actually, Tuesday. Let's see what what, Tuesday I will be attempting a seven thirty three pull. I think or a seven thirty pull. So this episode releases Monday. Yep. Listeners of the show, you're going to be seeing two massive pulls, 700 from a 66 kg well, guy. I don't know too, too much about mine, because the way I do it now is this is how I feel. Okay. If I feel good, I work up. If I don't, I don't. But I'm, I'm hoping. I think that the momentum is swinging the way I need it to swing. So that'll be exciting. 733 is huge, though. What's that? Seven and a half kilos off from the Open American record for the 83? I think. I, yeah. Yeah, think so? that's, that's, that's getting really, really close. Well, we'll see how it moves because everyone is now hyping me I mean, up. 700 for two is easy. Like, easy, easy. Yeah, I all... don't think 733 is going to be very difficult. Yeah, it all depends. Like, the thing is the mental block because Joe, I pulled. I did. I, I mean, I assume Joe and you have talked about oh. 733. Oh, yeah. And it was, it's funny because, like, I thought, like, he's encouraging me to be more aggressive where it's like the coach <laughs> – the coach's, like, dynamic is to, like, kind of keep lifters down or, like, kind of keep lifters in check and in the pocket, um, even though he hates that term. But um, it's, like, kind of to keep lifters in the pocket. 
And like with me, he's like, dude, you, it's like I would like to see you put on maybe a little bit more on the deadlift. Oh, like, really? He's, like, trying to push and me. More than 733. Oh, not, not 7, but I always have that mind, like, in number. I'm like, let's oh, do 725. Oh, and it's like, I think you could maybe jump it, like, two and a half kilos. Like, try it out. So yeah, I'm always, I, I, like, I, kind of suggesting a lower number. I think he's just pushing. I think he's pushing because, you know, I mean, I, I assume many people have told you that you're lined up for that big open and American record pull. It's yeah. stood for a while. I mean, there hasn't been anyone that's been remotely close, so... Yeah, I mean, again, the world record has been seven seven thirty. Actually, is what the world record is now. It has been broken. Seven twenty two was broken at European Championships. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, seven thirty now, which is, is it's respectable. It's good, but yeah, people know about that one, well, and, and it's like people are telling me like, "Oh, you definitely got seven fifty. I'm like, "Well, guys, keep in mind that I missed seven twenty two on Griff at Nationals. Like, we're talking about that thirty pounds more. <laughs> It's like let's stay, let's keep it down just a little bit. I mean, have you had any indicators that grip is an issue lately? No, um, actually, it's mostly well, grip was never an issue, and I people are blaming the grip on it. They're like, "How's your grip holding up?" I'm like, "The grip is fine. I don't think my grip is a problem. Yep. Like my lockout was the problem. If I would have locked out when I wanted to lock out, uh, the down command would have been much quicker. Obviously, I'm like, I didn't get a down command because I wasn't locked out. Like that's what people are kind of yep. neglecting. Like, why weren't you getting the down command? I'm like. I wasn't locked out. And the reason why my grip slipped is because I was holding at a position just way too long. So, yep. yeah. And then, again, a callus ripped, like, right at that moment. Like, it just ripped out from my pinky. Oh, so. God. Yeah, that happened to me a couple weeks ago. I tried to do a different thing in the hook. Uh, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'm going to try getting set at a little lower in my hands. And uh, it was like a cheese grater, man. It just, it just sliced my hands open. It's like, oh, no. So, yeah, I can feel that 100%. When the callus goes, I mean, pain threshold is only so great. Like, it's just awful. Yeah, it was a weird feeling, though, dropping it. I never dropped it. I never dropped uh, at the top. It was very weird. It was a weird feeling because oh. I didn't know what happened. I was like, I dropped it, and I was like, okay, I just lost grip. Then I looked at my hand, and there's, like, a little, like, not a gash, but, like, my callus is completely ripped. I'm like, oh, okay, I guess that's what kind of didn't hold it, but... Even if it, even if the callus would have held, I wouldn't have. I just didn't lock it out. Like I had to lock it out in order to get the down command. But whatever. Yeah, in the past. Seven thirty-three. I mean, this week, you get it, you smoke it. I mean, that's just the confidence builder, you know. Oh hell yeah, that'd be great. But this is the <laughs> longest goodbye good in the history of goodbyes. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm it's sorry. all good. That's all right. Tangent. <laughs> but thank you again for coming no on. Problem. A lot of people are going to be looking forward to this episode, and a lot of people are going to be happy to hear from Snur again. Oh, well, I hope that it's entertaining. Oh, it is. Trust me. All right. See you, man. All right. Peace out. Peace. And we are back. Thank you again for Snur coming on Two White Lights. Hopefully, we have you on again sometime. And that's going to do it. <clears throat> For Two White Lights, um, be on a lookout. There could be an episode dropping Friday. Me and Matt Wallace recorded an episode about one of our past show topics. So, yeah, Friday, be on a lookout for that. And that's going to do it for Two White Lights. See you guys next week. Peace. Oh, oh wait, wait, hold on. And also, I forgot to mention, because probably you guys have seen it 7,000 times on your Instagram uh, feeds, but hack broke a world record just out of nowhere at 198. So that was awesome. And yeah, I'm not going to recap it because it's a guy lifting weights and you've seen it on Instagram, but 
should be acknowledged that he is in GOAT conversation. And, yeah. Now that's going to do it for Two White Lights. Peace.